0: You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Absent Minded and the Top 25, Under 25. Today we're going with number 11 to 9 with a recent addition of, of, or loss of Jesper Kotkanemi, and we're joined by one esteemed guest here today, Chris Peters of um, an NHL draft prospect analysis at um, Hockey Sense on Substack. Please subscribe; he's doing awesome work. But also, Chris, you've been at ESPN, CBS, and US Hockey, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been a winding, a winding road, and now I find myself on my own once again. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun though, and it's great to continue to to, to keep focusing on. On the draft, on prospects, on uh, on college hockey as well. So uh, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully, I can be of some some service today.
1: Well, I'm sure you can. You you're going to know these guys better than two Swedes that and that are, are the hosts today.
2: <laughs> and obviously,
1: uh, Patrick, uh, I'm Patrick, and and I'm joined by Anton. Uh, yeah, exactly. Snusil.
0: You know, <laughs> I'm just a throw-in. You know, you don't have to present me anymore. Uh, it's, it's like I don't present myself either. <laughs> no.
1: Anyways, uh, first and foremost, uh, this is recorded the day after the Korkeniemi, um offer sheet was uh, sorted out uh, with Jesper leaving. Uh, your reaction to this, uh, Chris? It's it's always good to have another view on it.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think that that Montreal ended up making the right decision. Um, it's hard because you know when you have a player that you drafted third overall and somebody that you've invested time and time into and obviously had a lot of faith in as a young player, it's hard to move on, but I think that, you know, just in terms of a pure business maneuver um, in the short term, it was one, of you know, I think it was probably the only choice. You take the draft picks, you take, um, you know, you take that, that the savings off of the salary cap. And then obviously the the Canadians go ahead and draft uh, and and trade for Christian Dvorak, who I think in the short term is an upgrade um, in terms of what he brings at the center position. And, and, you know, you also have to factor in the loss of Philip Deneau as well. And that is, Really, you know, I, I think that one was probably the bigger overall loss. But Dvorak kind of brings in a, a, an element of, of good two-way play. Um, I, I think he's he's a he's a a very underrated skilled player. Like the the way that he plays the game, I think he he has some some really sneaky skill. Um, was such a great player for the London Knights over the years, and 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 a really good character guy too, well respected, well liked. But I mean, you know, you look at. The, the drafting, yes, Barry Cook, Kenyemi, which at the time was a bit controversial, um, you know, with, with Brady Kachuk still on the board and other players available at that number three slot. Um, you know, I, I think now you look back and, and you look at the first round draft picks of Montreal over the last you know decade or so, and, and there's not a ton to show for it on the on the everyday roster. Um, but you know, that, so that, that's another thing that you kind of, kind of look at and and that, that compounds the disappointment of, of the way things ended. But in the end, I mean, when, with the situation that was presented to Mark Bergevin, I think that they'd made the best out of it, uh, the, you know, the, the best would have been getting a deal done with Kinyemi earlier, um, and not having to deal with a, with an offer sheet. But I think that, you know, in the end, it's a slight overpayment in the short term for Carolina, Uh, for a player that you're still banking on him having that upside and maybe in Carolina he does flourish but uh, in the end uh, again I think it's it was the right call with as the situation presented itself.
1: Offer sheets has usually been very big deals over quite a period of time but is this really the way to go to to sneak in maybe the rights to negotiate with another player overpaying a little bit and then bet have that player bet on himself? I've I really liked the Carolina and Carolina it.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it was smart to make sure that they were not overextending themselves, uh, you know, by, by but also putting the team, the, 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 the current team of the player in a bind where they were not going to be able to easily match it. Um, and additionally, if you're a team like Carolina that has loaded up its prospects pool, that doesn't have a huge need the draft picks that you're going to be forced to give up you you know you're a team that thinks you can win the stanley cup now, now in this season and you bring in a guy like kakaniemi who is going to help shore up your your forward lineup a little bit um i, I do think that that's the way to go because the thing of you, you look back and like you think about like the shea weber offer sheet uh back in the day with that philadelphia tried to to, to sign him to or did sign him to and and forced nashville to to act. I mean, in the end, that deal got worse and worse and worse as time went on, even though Weber was still a very effective player it was just, you know, it became a little bit more onerous, it became more expensive for the teams that were paying, you know, big money and all that other stuff, um, you know, and eventually he ends up getting traded. But I think if you can go with a short term deal for a player that is good, I mean, you know, I is is cocking me mean, a $6 million player right now, I don't think so. But that if if it doesn't work out beyond the season, I don't think you stress much about losing the draft picks because you've got a deep prospect pool already. Besides that, Carolina always trades back anyway and just stockpiles draft picks and finds out (laughs) finds guys that are going to help them in the second and third rounds uh, anyway. So, you know, I I, I think that that is, uh, you know, the way to go. And it's a it's a it's a good piece of strategy. Um, even though I think a lot of us are like, well, this is also a, a bit of a revenge play. Uh, but, it, you know, I know that the Hurricanes are saying that it's not, but, I mean, come on.
0: <laughs>
1: you mentioned London Knights, obviously, and and I have to ask that question as well with whatever happened with, with, Jordan, uh, with um, Mayu the other day when um, the OHL suspended him. Um, is there a chance for him to go into college hockey?
2: Yeah, so basically... For him, because he played for SK León last year, um, I, as far as I can tell, you know, he had a salary, he was playing on a professional contract last year. Um, He is under contract, you know, or under a player agreement in the OHL as well um, with London, despite the fact that he's not going to be able to play. So with those two factors under consideration, I do not believe he'll be eligible to play in college hockey. If that were an option, maybe he could play for a Canadian university team. Um, I don't know, but you know, but at the same time, he's going to have a hard time finding places to play. And I think that the best thing for him at this point is to serve his time and to do, do the things that he needs to do on the personal side before they even worry about the hockey side. The good news for him is that the OHL didn't outright ban him for the rest of the year, they did suspend him indefinitely as soon as he can come back as January 1st, he can apply for reinstatement. And I think that by doing that, the OHL is saying, if you show us that you can take these steps, one of which I think is going to be not finding another place to play and just going through and, and working on himself as opposed to his, you know, his hockey skills uh, or, his, you know, be playing games at least. Um, I think that that's, that's probably the, ultimately the best path forward for both him, for the Canadians, for the OHL, for the London Knights, you know, he has to continue to atone for what he did. He he did, you know, he, he satisfied the legal requirements of his offense, but now there's still, you know, there's still a lot of building up that has to be done. I mean, we can't, you know, I, I think, you know, in the end, the Canadians made a grave mistake in drafting him. Um, and, and we talked about their first round prospects over the years and you know I, I've said bef- from before even on merit I don't think that he was a first round draft pick um you know there are people that can disagree with that and that's fine but i I watched him last year and I saw a player that that I didn't have rated until the third round um, and despite his his production in, in in that league and I think that you know this suspension compounds the mistake that was made by the Canadians, because now he's missing more development time. If you look at it strictly from hockey reasons, which for a player that did what he did, you can't just look at it for hockey reasons. I think there's a there's a lot of work to be done here. And, and really, the, the Canadians made a huge mistake drafting him. And it only looks worse now because now he won't be able to play for an extended period of time.
1: Indeed, and uh, I've spoken with with uh, Noran, who, who covered the story obviously and broke the story in Sweden, and uh, and they said the same things that he was very difficult to to evaluate, and uh, it was Division One. We're so used in Sweden to to rank them over under twenties or or, mm-hmm. or Hockey Allsvenskan, which is the, the series above. So so yeah, they say there is a talent, but. A lot of players at this level has talent when when they come up. We're going to move on to to another one that that was on this list or, or our list here for the top 25, under 25, and that's Luke Tuck. You got some, you, you don't have to dig deep, but just to hear your thoughts on him.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Luke Tuck is, is on the right path developmentally. I, you know, I, I was at the world junior summer showcase and I, I thought he played well there. Um, he ended up playing on the B team essentially at the end of camp, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I thought that he played well enough to be considered for, you know, and, and still will be very much in the mix for the world junior team. Um, but, you know, to, to have that, you know, minor setback, um is tough, but I mean, you look at him, the size factor, the strength, you know, he, he he has good enough pace for the size that he plays with. He, He, he needs to be more aggressive physically at times, Um, you know, and, and, but he has good finishing ability. You know, last year at Boston University was a really tough season. They only ended up playing 16 games last year. And, you know, he, he did well in those games. He looked like, you know, he, he transitioned to college hockey very easily. Um, You know, I, I think that he's, for the range that they got him in, in 2020, you know, I think some people might've said that that was a bit of a reach. I thought that he was right in, in that range. Like that was a completely fair range for him to go in. Um, and, you know, I think just for him, the focus is going to have to be on continuing to improve those skills, getting a little bit more aggressive, using his body a little bit more effectively. Um, but aside from that, I think that there's a really, really good player there in Luke Tuck.
1: Indeed. Um, it- we got,
0: yeah, no, you, no I was just gonna yeah I was just gonna ask uh, do you see Luke Tuck uh, after his freshman year with uh, with Boston University do you see him as a, a player with NHL upside and what kind of NHL upside would you say because with someone with his physical frame you could naturally see him slot into um, like several other Canadians prospects who are maybe projected to be more further down the lineup maybe bottom six wingers. Do you see Luke Tuck as having the potential to be even better than that?
2: You know, I think he, I think he, his ceiling is probably middle six. You know, I think that there's, there's um, you, you know, he doesn't have the scoring touch of, you know, that of, of a guy that I could say that guy's definitely a, a, a top six player. Um, he does, he does have the ability to score though. I think he's a secondary piece, you know, on most teams. I think he's a, he's a depth guy. Um, you know, just because he doesn't have that elite skill level or, or, or high end skill level that's going to you know, make defenders miss. But he, he does have the size. He has the versatility. He has good work ethic. You know, he does all of the little things well that I think gives him a chance to slot into a variety of roles. But I, I think, you know, the best case for him is middle six NHL. Um, I think he's going to need at least two more years in school. Especially after last season wasn't a a full season, you know, you give him till after his junior year, reevaluate where he's at. I think he can become a dominant college player over these next two years. And when he gets to that stage, then you can have a better idea of what you're looking at. I think just last year, it's very tough to gauge kind of where he's at based on you know the the fact that they played a 16 game season at BU. Right,
1: and let's move on to the list for real, and and uh, why we brought you here. Obviously, we brought you here for your knowledge, so we're using that in in excess. Today, but uh, number eleven on top twenty-five, under twenty-five, is Jaden Struble. Are are you shocked that he's that far down, or or that he's just just in in quotation marks an average guy on this list?
2: No, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think that he is remains a, a work in progress. Um, same thing with him. Shortened season last year. He's dealt with injuries already as well. You know that is that is a difficult thing for. For him to kind of go through, um, you know, where, where he didn't get to play as much as he probably would have liked to. Um, and, and it's knocked him out of things for like the world juniors and things like that, where, you know, you get, you get a better idea of where he's at. You know, I thought that he played well last year when healthy though. Um, you know, he's a very good skater. He's got great physical tools. He's got tremendous strength and athleticism. Um, all those things definitely help. I think that we still need to see him take a step in, in another direction. We need to see him um, you know, move, move the needle a bit more. I need to see him bring more of his offensive game. You know, he was a very offensive defenseman in his, uh, in his prep years. And, you know, a big reason why I think that, that, that he went so high. He was obviously, you know, he, he really made a name for himself at the combine that year or two, where he was just dominant on all of those things. And, and you, and that doesn't mean that, you know, a guy, I, I was surprised to see that he went as early as he did in that draft season. Um, he wasn't a guy that I, I had, you know, tremendously high hopes for. I think the Habs have, have been very heavy on, um, you know, those high school kind of those high school guys. Um, you know, they never shy away from those Minnesota Minnesota guys, but obviously Struble's an Eastern guy. So it's a little bit of a different kind of status for him. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he's still very much a wait and see kind of guy because they, he hasn't had a full season in college hockey yet to really gauge how he's going to handle that. And I think this year we'll get a much, much better idea. The the schedule is set. You know, it's going to be a pretty significant schedule. There's going to be a lot of, um, uh, a lot of really good um, games for him to to show what he can do. I think Northeastern is in a bit of a transitional mode as a, as a, as a program, you know, they, they, they have a new head coach and Jerry Keefe who's been on the bench there for, for, for years as an assistant, um, but they also don't have the guys like the Tyler Maddens and, and others that, that 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 can really produce at a high high level. Um, so we'll have to see kind of where they slot in in hockey East this year. But I think Struble is going to be a guy that that really, for me, um, you know, I need to see a big step this year from him to kind of get a, a better feel for where he's going. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that he's where he is on your list.
1: Anton has had a great idea um, and and really pointed out. Partly when it comes to Europeans and partly when it comes to, to NCAA players, um, that Montreal seems to take these because it gives them four years of of eligibility and, and four years to evaluate yeah, these.
0: Yeah. I'm just gonna say, no credit to me. That's <laughs> Trevor Timmons said that as well. So like yeah. they, they want to have a bit more years to develop these guys. And if you look at someone like Struble, that's obviously why he was in high school. He was a high schooler when they selected him and he was built like an Adonis, but he was a, you know, far from sure thing that they selected on, on pure upside. So uh, do you see that as a, as a way moving forward? Because we were talking about, who was it we were talking about the other day uh, in our prospect pool? I think it was Joshua who was selected. He was the first, pick of the q draft in 2019 and right. uh now he fell to the fifth round in the draft because he hasn't um really lit up the the qm jhl in the one and a half years he's been there but the canadians only keep his rights for two years so with that kind of uh, with a guy who has had that much talent it would maybe be more beneficial for an nhl franchise to keep their to keep their um um, what do you call it? Keep their rights for four or five years. Right, do you see this right. As as a way moving forward, that clubs or franchises will be more uh, thinking about how long they can uh, work with these players, like a Struble, for example.
2: Yeah, I think that. Yeah, the Habs are definitely one of the teams that that has used that as a strategy. We've seen that for many other teams, and it's actually become a growing strategy as well. Um, really, I think the first team that that really. Came out publicly and said that that was part of their plan was um, the the Canucks under Mike Gillis. The problem was is that they drafted horribly. Um, so that wasn't that wasn't you know they they drafted college players for the for the specific reason or players on the college track that they were going to be able to hold their rights. And it's you know you don't take up a contract against your limit. You don't you know you're not paying that player, but they're still getting world class development, especially when they're playing on a top program. Um, And and certainly Northeastern has become one of those programs where NHL teams are much more comfortable with their players. They still haven't developed an NHL star at this point, you know, a a guy that's going to be a a significant player. They've got developed a lot of depth players, but it's the same time, you know, you, you, you take that, that, um, that opportunity on the flip side, you know, you let that guy go for four years and potentially, he doesn't sign with you and becomes a free agent and has his pick of many more teams. And that, that's a risk. But I think that most teams don't fear that risk because they have, it, it's on them to get the player signed within that four-year window. Um, and, and I do think it helps a lot because you know, you look at some of the guys that, you know, even first round draft picks that, that are on the college track, you say, all right, well, we'll let him go like, Kale, like Kale McCarr, you know, okay, we'll let him go for his freshman year. We'll see how it goes. You know Colorado, I think, gave him an opportunity to sign after that, but they were also content with leaving him at UMass, and he became one of the most dominant players in college hockey, won the Hobie Baker, and then immediately made an impact at the NHL level. So I think the teams are definitely, especially when it comes to defensemen, are, are leading more heavily, especially in the mid to late rounds on college bound defensemen. Um, and you'll see a lot of guys that, that that are like that because there's, especially with a guy like Struble, there's a germ of an idea of what he can be, right. It's, 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 we, we see a physical specimen, but we also see this guy that is just putting it all together. He's just, he's on the cusp, but he's not quite there yet. We know he's going to school. We know he's going to get developed and that really helps. Um, that really helps them kind of figure out what the development situation is going to be like for those players. Um, and, and the thing is, is that even though the players are not under contract, there is nothing against NCAA rules for for NHL teams to send their player development people to track those players, to look at those players, to work with those players, to make calls with them, to watch video with them. So there is a, there is a development process that's ongoing, even while those players are under contract. So it's a really nice setup when you do have college bound players, because you can still have that level of contact, but you're not using a contract and you know, they're getting really well developed.
1: Should this be, I mean, like with Europe having the same four year period, uh, should this be implemented all over?
2: I, I mean, you know, I think it, it certainly could be. Um, and and I, I think the teams are, you know, they, they feel they have to be pretty strongly, feel pretty strongly about players on the CHL path um, if they're going to draft them beyond the fourth round typically anymore. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think that teams, teams that are, that, that have guys that they like, you know, I think they're doing that on their own. I don't think that it's a, you know, you still have to trust your area scouts and you still have to go off of your list. And if this, if there's a CHL player, that's the best player available, then you take that player. So, um, but yeah, but I mean, I think in terms of a strategy, I just think it's a very smart one because we've seen so many guys you know, develop over the course of their years in in college hockey. And how many of those guys end up becoming undrafted free agents, you know, start picking those guys and second and third year eligible players that you have a better idea on so that you can, you know, potentially get them under contract without having to overspend while you're competing against other teams for, for college free agents, which are guys that have a a lower likelihood of of panning out. But if you get them earlier, maybe you get a chance to develop them a little bit more.
1: It's interesting to hear, and and obviously we are sort of used to it. Anton and I being on on this side of the pond, and number ten goes to Sean Farrell. Uh, hasn't really played a college game yet, but uh, we heard from you that that you like this guy.
2: I do. Yeah, I I, I like Sean Farrell. I liked him um, in his draft year, just in terms of you know under fully understanding the size situation. Like I don't think that he's going to be a center. Um, at the NHL level, I think it's, you know, just in terms of his size, his weight, you know, he's, he's going to have to come a lot further, Uh, but he's an incredibly smart player. He's very quick. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's a guy that, you know, I think he'll probably play wing at at Harvard this year, um, to, to break a hundred points, even though he, so he wasn't supposed to be in the USHL last year, as you guys know, he was supposed to be at Harvard. Harvard doesn't play. He gets to go back to the USHL scores over a hundred points, which is super rare in the league, does it in an abbreviated season um, and was a dominant player in the playoffs, Helped Chicago win the Clark cup. All of that experience is going to matter. And now he's going to Harvard, which has been a a very strong producer of NHL talent over these last few years. They also have some, they've they've had good success with smaller players as well. They have Nick Abrazizi right there right now, who was one of the best freshmen in college hockey a couple of years ago, came from the same Chicago steel organization, that uh, Sean Farrell did. And, you know, I think that they're just, they're on the right track with him. Um, you know, I think you do take the the numbers from last season with a grain of salt because he was, you know, an old junior player, you know, he was a, he was a 19 year old junior player for most of last season um, with, you know, essentially four years in the league at that point, because he played two years at the national team development program where he was, you know, he was, he, he was a, a role player, on that team because it had Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and Trevor, Trevor Zegras. So, you know, he had to be a bit of a role player, but what he's shown over the last two seasons in Chicago is that he can also be a, a top line guy. And I think that he's so smart as a player that that's going to help him find ways to maximize his size. Now, do I think that he's a, a lock to be a top six guy at the NHL level? No chance. I, I don't. I think there's still a lot of risk there. He still has a lot to prove. Um, he's going to have to get stronger in college. But I do think that there's an NHL player there. I really do. Um, and, and I think that he's, because of his his hockey sense, because of his speed, um, I think that that's going to be a very good, um, a very good thing for him.
1: Two things really is, is that he actually got to play hockey last year. That's the first yes. thing. Huge. And, and, and second is is more or less also you said top uh, six guy, do you see him fulfill any role in the bottom six or, or, or is it top six or bust?
2: I don't think it's top six or bust. I think there's more more flexibility in NHL lineups now um, with that fourth line where it's not just a crash and dang line where you know you can still play tough matchups, but you know you've got a, you've got a speed factor. Um, you've got, you know, an energy factor, you know, does, did they, do they defend well enough? Are there, you know, we know they're not going to score as much as our top line. So I think there's more versatility in, um, in NHL lineups right now, uh, in terms of that, 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 makes room for players like that. I think you look at the way that, uh, you take a look at the way that, um, uh, Tampa is built and, and you say, okay, well, they, they don't have necessarily earlier traditional fourth line where it's a big banger and crasher and there you know there there can be guys that that you find room for and i think that sean farrell is 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 the kind of guy that if he continues on the path that he's on you find a you find a spot for him you find a role for him i don't think that he's you know a a lock to be a long-term nhl player but i do think that he's going to make the league and 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 you know be a guy that can can make an impact in in a variety of different ways including on the score sheet
0: um, it was ironic that you mentioned Nico Abruzzizzi, uh, who will be his teammate at Harvard now, um, another undersized forward who was actually selected with the exact same selection, 124, the year before uh, that Sean Farrell went. Um, I was just thinking, like, both of these players are listed at 5'9". Do you th- see any other reason why they fell in the draft uh, other than the fact that they are um, undersized?
2: Um, probably not. I mean, I think that, you know, especially because they both had similar production. Um, they both, you know, I think in Aberzizi's case, there was a, there was a, you know, I think there was a much more of a feeling that he was a top six or bus guy, and it would be tough for him to make the top six on, on a lot of NHL teams. Um, and it still may be, but, but I, I think that, yeah, size was the biggest factor. Cause you look at, like, I thought Sean Farrell was a better player than Sam Calangelo, and Sam Calangelo went in the second round and they were on the same team played, played together. Um, uh, but Calangelo is, you know, six foot one, I think, or six, two, and, and, and Farrell is five, nine. So, um, I, I still think that, you know, NHL teams size does matter. It doesn't matter if you're, an exceptional player like Cole Caulfield, but it still can matter, um, and I think that that's what we saw with Sean Farrell and Nick Abrosi. So,
1: so, realistically, what are the expectations for for Farrell this season with Harvard? And I don't mean
2: academically. Yeah, I mean in ter- in terms of uh, in terms of his on ice on ice game. I think the fact that he got that extra year in the USHL should allow him to be an instant impact player. I think he'll play a pretty significant role for Harvard right out the gates because they have the room for him to do that. Um, I'm not sure what Harvard's going to look like having not played a season last year. And guys like Nick Abrazizi, who wanted to come back, couldn't play anywhere last year because he was aged out of junior and the only other opportunity for him would have been to go play professionally. And he wanted to stay at Harvard. So, you know, I wonder how that impacts the team overall Uh, But I think that Sean Farrell, having had played last season, having been so good, having been uh, on a championship team, I think he's going to be a significant player for them and and a guy that should be a top six producing forward for them uh, as an older freshman.
1: Anton, anything more to
2: add?
0: Uh, In regards to Sean Farrell, I'm just, um, well, it's just fun to see. uh, If you look back a few years, everyone was talking about Um, how the Canadians had too too many small guys on their lineup Um, and it all started basically with brendan gallagher and and size was kind of missing and montreal is just loaded up on on very sizable defensemen in especially the last two two drafts uh but then we have guys like cole caulfield and sean farrell and i remember cole caulfield uh, tweeting out steel when Sean Farrell was selected with a 124th pick uh, so they obviously ha- have a good connection already do you see that Cole Caulfield and Sean Farrell have a skill set that would match in the NHL if everything goes uh, goes according to plan for Farrell in these upcoming years
2: um Possibly. I think it'd be tough to have two guys at their size on the same line in the NHL. It would be fun, Um,
0: though, wouldn't it? It
2: would be fun, yeah. I mean, I think that the fact that that Sean can be such a burner and can really move, um, you know, that that helps a lot. And, and, you know, they didn't play much together, um, at least on the same line at the NTDP. Farrell was much more of like a grinded out kind of guy and just you know, a, a very reliable center for them, but it was usually, you know, Cole with Jack Hughes or Trevor egress or Matt Boldy or whatever. And, and so, you know, and, and, as he should have been. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, I think that if, if everything goes completely right for Sean Farrell, maybe one day down the road um, he could, he could be on the wing opposite to, to, um, to Cole Caulfield, as long as they have a, a good playmaking uh, center. But I mean, Farrell himself is, is a, is an excellent passer. He reads plays remarkably well and he reads plays at pace. I, I, I think that's, you know, he can play the game fast. And that's one of the things I really like about him and, and why I think he has a chance because he can process the game at such a level. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it, you know, I think that it, more likely that, that you'll see a guy like Sean Farrell further down the lineup and, and, in a scoring depth kind of role where you have Cole Caulfield as a, as a top line player. But, um, either way, uh, I think, yeah, certainly that, that 2001 team, the 2001 birth year team for the NTDP, those guys, uh, definitely were very close. And, and I'm sure that just having familiar faces in the organization, uh, helps both of those guys. You obviously mentioned Cole Caulfield and, and how
1: can we not, were you surprised about his performers when he joined the Canadians? And that it only became <laughs> was it four four games in in Laval before before he joined.
2: I I thought he was only going to be in Laval for one game. <laughs> the way he was going, no, you know i i wasn't I wasn't surprised. I've been such a huge fan of of Cole Caulfield's game, and um since since his draft year. I mean, you look back and and you look at the seventy two goals that he scored, and I happen to be in the building for a good amount of them. Um, you know, well, uh I guess maybe like I say a good amount of them but what's a good amount of 72 right not certainly not the majority of them because that's too many but um but yeah but I mean I, you know being able to watch that team at the world under 18 championship that year and and being able to see that and then watching Cole Caulfield each of the last two years at Wisconsin and seeing him take those those next steps and 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 having to go through a little adversity on on a team that did that completely underperformed in his freshman season and then they found their way and he was the guy leading the charge last year and and it became more his team Um, Which I think helped Wisconsin in the end. And and so to see him come in, I I wasn't surprised. I mean, this is he is one of the smartest. I, I think that's something that is just so underrated about him. The shot is obviously great. But I just think that his sense of offensive timing is unlike anything I've seen in a young player um, in the years that I've been doing this because he just knows how to pop into space he knows how to shoot gaps he knows how to find ways to get to a good dangerous scoring area and when he gets there his net sense is incredible because he knows where he's got to put it it's not just knowing where the goalie is it's not just knowing where the defenders are you have to you have to know all of that stuff and then you have to have the skill set to put it put it all together at the exact right moment and then place the shot perfectly, which he almost always does. So um, I, you know, I think that the sky is the limit for him and we're only got a small taste of of what he can be. And, you know, I I put together a long list for the U S Olympic team, um, you know, basically 45 players and and he's one of the guys that's on it for me. Uh, That's, that's where I think he's at at this point.
1: So uh, a good start of the season, hopefully for Cole Caulfield, and we get another Montreal Canadian in the Olympic team, obviously it's like uh, you, you can't really take someone like that out of the, or, or I can see why you want to include a player like that because right. the scoring touch is is something that you can't really teach. You see it in soccer all the time. You see it, it with, with wide receivers and, and obviously with, yep. with quarterbacks as well. It's something that, that has to be taught. Uh, you almost have to be gifted with it rather than taught.
2: Yeah. And with him, that, that's the crazy thing is like, he did have that like just innate sense at a young age and then continued to refine it and then found other ways. And the thing about being small, like one thing about small players that I think is is a huge benefit to them is they have to figure out how to play at that size very early in their lives. Because if they're small now, they are probably have always been small. And so it forces them to adapt their games to their size. And and in doing that, they do that a lot faster than the bigger guys do, because the bigger guys come into their size later in life. And and so they, you know, or in some cases they get caught up to, uh, you know, they're big when they're younger and then they get caught up to, and they don't know how to handle that. Well, the smaller guys always have had that. So I think that that's one of the, the real benefits is that Cole has turned every perceived weakness that he has in his game to a strength over the years that he's developed. And it's remarkable.
1: One of my favorite stories is obviously a soccer story or, or football, as we say here in Europe, but it's uh, <laughs> um, Jörg Miller that, that passed away the other week, unfortunately, but he went around. It, fantastic goal scorer for Germany in the 70s. Mm-hmm. His nickname was Der Bomber, so you can understand what kind of shot he had. Uh, but <laughs> uh, he walked around in the penalty area to see the angles and, and no, in order to read and know where the goal was behind him. In, in order to practice up that, that sense to score. And sometimes I get the feeling that, that Cole Caulfield has done the same.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Because I mean, like, you just look at the different patterns. And the different the different ways that he gets to scoring areas. And the different, like, the, the way he pops in a space. I just think that that's something. That's what he's developed such a feel for. And, and yeah, I think it's the same thing. He just knows you know, you, you watch enough video and you say, Hey, where are the, where are the holes going to be? Where are the, where are the things, you know, and that's, I guess the benefit of, of the modern players. There's so many tools at their disposal to find the, the soft areas of the ice, uh, but you still in a game situation, it's, it's dynamic. So you have to wait, wait and see what appears for you. And he always seems to find the right spot. So, you know, and, and it, the question was, okay, he does that in, in junior, he does that in college. Can you do it in the NHL? And as we found he can so and he also makes smart plays because he doesn't just shoot it all the time he's become much more he he was a volume shooter before i think that he's a much more um controlled and and not careful or overly cautious but he is a smart shooter now compared to being a volume shooter
1: okay moving on to 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 the next spot on the on the list and and that's jordan harris and Every Canadians fan right now is worried about is he the next Adam Fox?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> um, not, not uh, on the ice, sorry. but
1: maybe, maybe getting um, a trade uh, being asking for a trade before he even signed.
2: Oh, I got you, I got you. Okay, 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 okay. Um, it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, when anytime a guy goes back, I think that Jordan wanted to go back for a full season. Northeastern has actually done a, a, such a good job there of making their players want to stick around. Um, you know, you think about Adam Goddett, uh, they had Dylan Sakura, guys that, that stuck around and, 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 you know, created opportunities for themselves to become free agents, but they ultimately ended up signing with the teams that drafted them. And, and that's, uh, or, or, or you know, in Sakura's case, uh, you know, that they, he, he, he picked his spot. So it, it's, it's still, you know i i think yeah in terms of trying to get traded it's always a possibility i don't think that jordan harris is the kind of like he's a very good player really good offensively makes a lot of plays um not anywhere close to the level of hockey sense of an adam fox but he he has a you know he has a very good good skill set really good mobility as well if you end up losing jordan harris it would hurt, but I don't think it's the disaster of, you know, we, we lost, we lost the guy at that caliber of player. Um, You know, he is a very good player. He's a guy that you want in your system. He's a guy that will w- brings a little, something a little bit different than what Montreal ha- has on their blue line at the present. Um, and, and so I think that, that, that helps as well. But, you know, I do think, you know, it, if, if it ends up not working out and he decides to exercise his his free agent rights um which he actually already can um because he is uh he was he was drafted in in um 18 so or i guess not so yeah so anyway never mind what i was just saying um but he is he is a very interesting player nonetheless i think that he's developed really well um at northeastern he 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 has a great offensive sense he 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 knows how to pick his spots more. Um, you know, defensively, he still has a lot of work to do. Um, you know, I think that he he's not to the point of being a liability, but he needs to be better. Um, and and so I think that that's something that we'll have to see as he is he takes on a leadership role at Northeastern this year. Um, but again, I you know I think he's a good player. I think you know I look at a guy like a like a Struble who's on the same team, and I say, okay, I, I see maybe you know. A little more of a ceiling on Struble than I do on Harris, but I, I think that the offensive skill set that Harris brings is unique enough that you want a guy like that in your system and 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 try to continue developing him. You know, I don't think he could step onto the, the, one of the reasons that he may exercise the free agent right is I don't think that if he plays next season, we'll have to watch how he does as a senior. But you know, if I were judging off of what I've seen so far, I don't think he's very NHL ready at this point um or a guy that could step into the lineup after his senior season um that may be the best way to entice him if 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 northeastern gets bounced early try and sign him and and let him get under contract now um and and so that he doesn't go to free agency and and maybe get some nhl games under his belt Uh, but there's no guarantee there
0: like It's obvious to make the comparisons when you have two guys playing left-handed defensemen for a Northeastern University um, and just comparing Struble and Harris. And you said that you feel that Struble maybe has a little higher ceiling. Do you think that Harris has a little higher floor than Struble?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very fair way to put it. Um, Yeah, because I think that we still haven't seen Struble... St- scratch the surface of where he can be as a, as a player ultimately, where I think we're seeing Harris at a level that's above where Struble is at, at the moment. um And will continue to kind of at the at worst stay there. Um You know, but I think that I look at a couple of different things like the, the skating, the size, the strength of a Struble. That's why I say, okay, well, he could be a minutes guy. He can be a, a defender. You know, he can, he can play a good two-way game. Whereas Harris, I feel it's much more power play heavy, more offensive, you know, less, uh, less controlled offensively. And, but, but, certainly his offensive upside is at a much higher degree. Um, and the other thing too, is that the age difference matters to me as well. It's not, it's not a huge age difference, but it, but it does matter. Whereas, and especially since, you know, we're talking about a guy that has three years of college experience under his belt versus a guy with two years of college experience. And that, that one year can really make a huge difference developmentally as well.
1: You see that in every league, I think, that, that extra year in SHL or, or um, in AHL as well. You, you, you become a little bit harder. It is not the same kind. I mean, like NHL is not a development league and you can build up muscle a little bit different over that year rather than going pro and, and, or pro in Europe as well. But, but there is obviously less travel than in, in, in Europe than in the AHL.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I think that that's, yeah, they're, they I think teams are exploring just the, the variety of different ways that they can best serve their players developmentally and what leagues and what levels and all those other things. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot, I, I still think that the, the game of hockey has a lot more to do to, to more uniform I don't want to see, say, make it a uniform developmental system, like say baseball in the United States, where there's a single, a triple, a, you know, double, a, all that stuff. And, and there's a ladder to climb. I I like the variety that hockey provides. And I like that each place, um, specializes in something a little bit different. Um, so that's something that I really, uh, really enjoy about, about the game.
1: Not to go down that route, but I mean, obviously, baseball is more or less played in, in the U.S. and its territories, or, or how you want to phrase yeah. it. But, but <laughs> yeah. hockey is hockey is more of a, a, a world sport compared to baseball, but not a world sport compared to many other sports. So it might be difficult to get that. I mean, I know Russian clubs obviously feeling um, as, as second-rate clubs because that's why there is no KHL-NHL agreement. They, will, they want to right. be paid fairly. Um, Right. So 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 I don't think that will ever happen. What I think. Yeah, 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 I
2: won't. And and honestly, I mean, you look at it, I think the European club model, especially in Sweden, is viewed as such a tremendous developmental system already. So you don't want to mess with that. You look at the players that Finland and Sweden are, are able to produce out of smaller populations. Um, and and, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. So I, I don't think you mess with that. I I don't want to suggest that, but I'm just saying, you know, the fact that hockey has so much of a a variety and where you can develop, it's why I've, I've come to the, you know, the realization there is no right way. It's whatever is right for that specific player is not going to necessarily be right for the next player. So it's really on the players to have a good sense of self. And it's on the teams to know the players well enough and, and to trust the players to make Smart developmental decisions for themselves. So I, I'm I'm fascinated to see kind of, you know, guys that go the college route, guys that go is into Europe, guys that are going in the CHL what the different different uh, paths forward are. But obviously, there are enough players that come from each and every one of those those uh, those leagues that I think you know the world's doing a pretty good job of creating really good hockey players.
1: Looking at expectations again, Jordan Harris, and, and also for for uh, Northeastern. What can we expect?
2: Well, I think that he's going to be, as he has been for the last two seasons, you know, one of their leading, uh, leading producers, one of the guys that is going to be relied on heavily for offense from the back end, especially since they have, you know, a team that's, that's got some new guys that, that they're trying to work in this year. They've got, uh, you know, like uh, a young draft eligible like Jack Hughes, not that Jack Hughes, different Jack Hughes, but he'll be draft eligible this year. Um, has a really good chance to be a, a dynamic player for them. They've got guys like Aiden McDonough, Sam Colangelo, who I mentioned earlier, um, that are that are good, uh, talented players that, that, that have uh, some skill. But, you know, I think that they're going to be in tough. They're in a, a very difficult league. Um, we'll, we'll also finally hopefully get to see Devin Levi um, playing. He missed all of last season after being a, 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 just an absolute rock for Canada at the World Juniors last year. So I think that Northeastern, is, it's going to be very interesting, but Jaden Harris is going to be at the center of anything that they do. He is, he is their best player. He is going to be their captain. He's going to be a guy that I think is, is, is going to play massive, massive minutes. It's a great thing for his per- personal development to be in the role that he's in this year. So I I'm fascinated to watch him. He's going to be a guy that I'm going to have very close eyes on because I do think that he's taken steps forward in each of his college seasons. And I'm expecting big numbers from him this year.
1: And and for northeastern, are, are, what are the expectations? Deep playoff run, or or do they crash out um, early? I, I think
2: I think it I think it's gonna be very difficult for them to to keep up with the Boston colleges and um uh BUs and uh, you know teams like that this year. Uh, but it's certainly possible. Uh, I think there's there's a there's a lot. I think that the the hockey East is a little bit more wide open. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit more up for grabs, but I mean, you think there's UMass, there's Providence. I mean, it's just a very difficult conference with a lot of experience in it. So, you know, I, it certainly they could, you know, if they go on a run here, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but I, I think that they, they didn't have a great year last year. They weren't a real good hockey team last year. Um, and, and I don't know that they're a ton better this year. I do think that they will be better, especially if Levi's in net. Um, but yeah, but I think there's, there's, uh, uh, they're kind of one of those tweener teams this year where they definitely could go on a run, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick my neck out real far to say that, that they're going to have a deep, a, a long season.
0: Anton. In regards to Jordan Harris or in regards to, uh, Northern anything, Easton?
1: anything you want.
0: No, I just want to thank Chris because this has been a, a great enlightenment for, uh, for both of us, I think. And, uh, I hope that you listeners, uh, enjoyed having Chris here. We would obviously love to have Chris back and, and discuss more in regards to both, uh, both the NCAA prospects and prospects in general when uh, we come further into the season.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anytime guys, it's a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time of year we're finally getting back so hopefully uh, hopefully it just keeps going the way it's going right now and we'll be able to have a, a real season
1: and and uh please follow chris uh, peters for on, on twitter it's chris m peters uh subscribe to his uh um some as well along with with listen to what he says on twitter you don't really need any more followers though chris seems to to be enough i i I,
2: I think no keep keep following keep following please 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 uh yeah apparently you can never have enough so uh yeah but no i gotta yeah it's been nice it's been a it's been a good run in hockey so i i i'm yeah hoping to keep it going here so yeah definitely subscribe to the Substack and uh and i also have my podcast talking hockey sense which is available wherever there are podcasts so yeah appreciate the chance to plug some stuff and and also uh to talk hockey it's uh uh, it's it's very close. The season is very close, so I, I I feel like this is a good way to start ramping things back up.
1: We're super happy to have you on, and as Anton said, we're probably going to contact you again because <laughs> for me it's a, it's an eye opener, and and I learned so much from you. So so it's it's great. Um, oh, well, thank you, thank you, thank you guys for for listening. Uh, be sure to stay safe. We, we're gonna plug that one as well, always. Uh, we're looking forward to, well, we're already in the top 10 obviously, but we're looking forward to the last nine names that will come up on the top 25 under 25.